Welcome to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. We meet each Sunday online and in person at 1030 a.m. You can find the Bernie Church of Christ at number one, Upper Balcones Road, right next to Starbucks. Today's message comes from one of our members, Greg Geimer. Here's Greg. I love to read. I like to read fiction. I don't care for nonfiction that much, especially self-help books, because what happens with that is, is let's say that one week you get a book, the top seller is why I or why coffee is good for you. And I'd read that book because I love that thought. That is a great book. But the next week the top seller would be why coffee is bad for you. And I would probably read it just to understand the opposing viewpoint. The following week, the, the book would be, Coffee is Good for You If It Has a Little Bit of Cream in It. And I could, I could see that. And then the following week, the book would be, Coffee is Good for You Because It Has Sugar in It. And I would never read that book because that is just crazy talk. Who, who would ever believe that you could put sugar into coffee? One of the reasons I don't read nonfiction is sometimes I don't want to hear their opinion. Sometimes I don't want to change my opinion on things. But I, I'd love to, I love to read fiction. I especially like science fiction. When I was young, I read every science fiction and Western novel in our library. I, I, I like books like The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien or The Pillars of Earth by Follett or Dune by Herbert or Ender's Game by, uh, by Orson Scott Card. This present darkness and piercing the darkness by Peretti, which I think is some of the finest Christian fiction written. The Stormlight Archive and this Mistborn trilogy by uh, Sanderson or The Martian by Andy Weir. The Expanse series by James Corey. I like classics like To Kill a Mockingbird and Treasure Island. I like Louis L'Amour Western novels because the good guy always wins. I like books with stories that move and flow with well-defined and developed characters. It's the reason I prefer to read the Old Testament over the New. But I don't believe that the Bible is, is a work of fiction. It's a historical document, started at creation and following how God tried to guide his people. It's a biography of Jesus Christ. It shares about the early church, early church through the letters written by Christ, uh, Christ's apostles. It's all brought together by the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. One of the Bibles and the Old Testament's epic stories is about the kings. The kings covers like six books, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, all records the kings, but it starts with Samuel in the Old Testament book of the same name, and Samuel was a prophet. Before he was born, his mother dedicated his life for service to God. As a young man, he found that God talked to him. That's what made him a prophet. He served the Israelites for many years as a conduit for God's messages. But as he got older, people started to worry about who would replace him. Remember, Samuel's mother dedicated his life to service, but it was God who chose him. Everyone thought his two sons might follow their father, but to put it short, they were idiots. 
A decision needed to be made, so instead of waiting for God to select someone, the men of Israel had a meeting. They formed a few focus groups, they took a couple polls, they put together a PowerPoint presentation in color, because if it's in color, it must be true. No, no. They told Samuel they wanted to be like everybody else and have a king to rule over them. This didn't make Samuel very happy, and God wasn't happy either. So in 1 Samuel 8, it's recorded, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. God said they could have their king, but asked Samuel to warn them what an earthly king would do to them. Again, in 1 Samuel 8, it says, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of the chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and others to plow his grounds and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and, and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and the olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants are the best of your cattle and donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and yourselves and will be and you yourselves will become his slaves. And when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. So basically the king you want will take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And what's left, he'll tax. And when you get tired of it, that's your choice. You're on your own. Now remember, God didn't say that these would be bad kings, and he didn't say these were going to be good kings. He just said that when you give up control of your life to other people, it's not going to be a give and take relationship. So let's move on. First king uh, anointed by Samuel was Saul. He didn't work out so well. During the battle, he was told to wait for Samuel, but decided to take matters into his own hands. Now, I, I, I'm going to go through this really quickly. The thing that I'm leaving out that I really, there is, with every one of the kings, there is a story. There is a story about how they became king or who they were from and what they did. Some of the kings were great, some weren't. So anyways, the first one was, was Saul, and he didn't work out so well. Saul was who they thought, everybody thought he'd be a great king, but he wasn't obedient to God. He was replaced in the second king, whose name was David. David was loyal, was loyal to God. 
He was actually loyal to Saul when he was king. He had a chance to kill Saul, and he wouldn't because he was so loyal. David was incredibly loyal to God. David's personal life was an absolute disaster. It was so bad, we can't even share in here how bad it was because this is a family crowd. I mean, everybody thinks about Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a just a minor bump in his road. Well, you can read that story yourself. The third king was David's son Solomon, whom God granted wisdom. But even with great wisdom, the kingdom established by men was starting to fall apart. So you just can't make all the people happy all the time. So when Solomon died, his son Rehoboam, succeeded him. Instead of seeking wise counsel, Rehoboam decided to listen to his buddies, and they told him that they really needed to crack down on the people, and the people pretty much had enough. And the kingdom split into two. The southern kingdom, or Judah, consisted of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and stayed with King Rehoboam. The other tribes followed a man named Jeroboam, and were called the northern kingdom, or Israel. The first thing Jeroboam did was start a new religion, worshiping a new god. Now they were separated from the rule of King Jeroboam and the spiritual rule of God. The southern kingdom continued to follow the Lord, kind of, sort of, sometimes, if you held up to the light just right, they followed God. The kings went from father to son without interruption. The northern kingdom didn't follow God, nor did they want to. The lineage of their kings was interrupted several times by murder and deception. One of them, the, the, the guy killed the king, took rule of, said, I am now your king. And after seven days, the people looked and said, exactly who made him king? Yeah, he didn't last much longer after that. It's, it's, it's exciting to take a You're listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. To learn more about us, visit our website, berniechurchofchrist.org, or follow us on Facebook. Now, for the rest of today's message, here's Greg Geimer. So the epic story goes on. For six or seven generations in the southern kingdom, the crown was passed from father to son. The northern kings weren't so lucky. Twice the king was overthrown and killed. Then Ahab became the northern king and his queen Jezebel, and they were so wicked that God sent a prophet Elijah. He sent a hero to bring his people back. And even with God performing incredible miracles through him, Elijah failed. He was not able to bring them back. This is a whole sermon for me on another thing. I love the story of Elijah. God used him. God broke him. He failed. God tried. And he tried to get these people to make a choice to come back. And he sent Elijah, and Elijah did incredibly powerful miracles and and things, and he still couldn't bring these people back. And he failed. And he was broken. God knew that, and God loved him. God took him to heaven in a chariot. 
Before he left, Elijah anointed two replacements. He anointed a guy by name Elisha as a prophet and Jehu as the king of Israel. He didn't mess with Elisha. Elisha did not, did not tolerate insolence or disrespect. It's a story where there were young men making fun of him because he was bald. He called down a couple bears and, and had the guys killed. He did not suffer that. Jehu was a soldier. When he was anointed king, they told the guy that sent, sent to tell him to be king, go in, find him, tell him he's the king, then turn around and run. He was a soldier. He went against Ahab using military solutions, graphic and bloody and violent military solutions. The kings went on for more generations with many more stories of failure and redemption. In the Old Testament, you start seeing prophecies of the coming of the anointed one or Messiah, a deliverer for the nations of Israel, someone to save them from the mess they got themselves in. I believe, we at the Bernie Church of Christ believe, that was Jesus Christ. And he came not just to save them, but to lead them back to the Lord. At the end of Jesus' life, there's an odd story where church leaders of the time wanted to kill Jesus. But they couldn't because their current oppressor, the Roman government, wouldn't allow them. So they take Jesus to the Roman governor named Pilate, and he speaks to Jesus in private. I was an elder at the previous church I was at. There are three scriptures that humble and terrify me. And this is one of them. Because the church leaders should have been the ones to know that Jesus was the Messiah. They should have led the people in rejoicing and celebrating the arrival of the Son of God and proclaiming Him the King of Kings. But through their own wisdom, steeped in tradition, they hung Him on a cross. As an elder, I often worried and wondered if I would have been there, what side would I have been on? Anyways, in John 18, the conversation with Jesus and Pilate is recalled. And Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate asked? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. 
few weeks ago, my wife, uh, Kathy, and I sat in a, a Wednesday night youth class, and Jacob was using this very scripture, and he asked a question. He says, what was the tone of Jesus in this conversation? And one of the young ladies in class said it sounded like a dad trying to explain something to a child without coming out and just giving them the answer. It was just profound. I remember Jacob kind of stepped back at that because of how deep that was, how deep of an understanding of that conversation. Jesus would not proclaim himself the king. Jesus talks about this kingdom, but he never proclaims himself the king. This was Pilate's choice, and it's still our choice. And later, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, in John 19 it says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was in Aramaic, the language of the people, Latin, the language of the Romans, and Greek, the language of the scholars. The chief priest of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And later they said, we have no king but Caesar. Once again, the church leaders chose a man as their king. What was wrong with that sign to them? What was wrong with that sign to us? To us, there's nothing wrong with that sign. It was true. The problem with the sign was it belonged over a throne not over a cross. So who do I choose to be my king? That's too easy. Honestly, that's too easy. Um, we had a minister who was a, uh, taught at a local Bible college. And he preached, and he taught many of our adult classes. And he shared, he shared a, a trick. This is a, a Bible class trick. If you don't know the answer to a Bible question, the safe guess would always be Jesus. So I'm going to ask myself, and I constantly do, much harder questions. When my health is poor, and I spend more time at the doctor's than at home, who is my king? Who do I give control? When my health is great and life is good, who's my king? Who do I give control? When I don't like the president, who is my king? Who do I give control? And even harder, when I do like the president, who is my king? Who is in control? When my marriage is incredible, who is my king? Who do I give control? 
and your marriage is going through a rough time, who is my king? Who is in control? And your marriage is on the rocks. I'm falling apart. Who is your king? Who's in control? My boss is horrible and my job stinks. Who is my king? Who do I give control? I'm studying for a test and I'm fairly certain I'm going to fail it anyways. Who is my king? Who's in control? When I'm preparing a sermon, don't think it'll be effective. Who's the king? Who do I give control? Who is your king? Who's control? It's your choice. It's always been your choice. Just know we have a father who's trying to explain it to us so that we can discover the answer. Thank you for listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. You can hear the Bernie Church of Christ right here on Bernie Radio each Sunday at 11 a.m. or for worship online or in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To learn more about the Bernie Church of Christ, visit our website, berniechurchofchrist.org, or call us at 830-249-2685. Again, that's 830-249-2685. Thank you once again for listening to the Bernie Church of Christ, and I hope you have a blessed day.